Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Greta Zaro, who is the organizing director with World Beyond War, where I am the director. So we are colleagues, but some of my colleagues are the most interesting people to bring on this program. Greta Zaro graduated as valedictorian from St. Michael's College in Vermont with a bachelor's degree in sociology, anthropology. She then pursued a master's in food studies at New York University before accepting a full-time community organizing job with Food and Water Watch, where she worked on issues related to fracking, genetically engineered foods, climate change, and corporate control of common resources. Greta Zaro describes herself as a vegetarian sociologist environmentalist. She and her partner currently live in an off-grid tiny home on their organic fruit and vegetable farm in upstate New York. Greta Zaro, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. So I just realized you're actually uh, studying us. You're a sociologist infiltrating the peace movement uh, to to write a report about it. Is that is that what you're up to? <laughs> well, I've always been interested in the connections between society and the environment, and that's really what got me started with sociology and then later studying food studies. And that's actually how this issue of war and militarism appealed to me and why I got started with World Beyond War is because really when you look at it, war is at the nexus of these social and ecological ills facing us as a species and as a planet um, due to the grave environmental impacts of war and its impacts on civil liberties, human rights, and the way that it drains trillions of dollars from our society. Well, I couldn't agree more, but I suspect not everybody is is quite onto that understanding. Does does everybody in Food and Water Watch uh, see militarism that way? You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. In my experience as a grassroots organizer with the environmental movement, I really didn't see these interconnections being made between militarism and the environment or between other issues, as a matter of fact. And I think that in activism, there can be a tendency to stay in what I call our silos and just focus on these issues individually without really looking at the holistic picture of how they are interconnected. And as I said, how really war is impeding progress on any of these issues as it's both draining our society of needed dollars, but also causing erosion to the environment and to society. Do you you think that that, that keeping issues in their silos is the result just of lack of time and and overwork and habit, uh, or... You know, I've I've always thought that the that that one of the reasons that environmental groups didn't tend to go after one of the biggest destroyers of the environment in the Pentagon and civil liberties groups wouldn't go after the militarism that created all the atrocities and and on and on through all the different categories of activism was that there's there there's a perceived downside to going against militarism and patriotism and war songs and the troops uh, that 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 it's not good for fundraising and so forth. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. If we look behind the curtains of how these groups are being funded, uh, you're right. I think that some of the funders would not want to touch the issue of war and militarism. And I think the first thing that you said as well is correct in the sense that people feel overwhelmed and they just feel that they can only tackle one issue at a time. But by, but by getting stuck that way in our minds, we're really impeding progress as a unified mass movement because all of these issues are connected at the core. And a lot of it does come down to economic injustice as the hinge tying it together. How, do, how does that tie everything together? Well, the fact that, as we said, war and militarism is draining all of these issues by spending in the United States. The U.S. government spends $1 trillion annually on war, so it's draining our society of dollars, and it's also perpetuating economic inequality by concentrating, further concentrating money in the hands of a few politicians and top corporations that manufacture these weapons. I'm glad you said that because it's hardly mentioned in U.S. elections this week. Um, so, 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 how did you uh, see the connections, and and how did you choose to get involved in in working with World Beyond War and and in the peace movement? Well, I guess because of my background in sociology, I've always been looking holistically at these issues, and as I said, at the interconnections between society and the environment. So it wasn't a far stretch for me to put these pieces together uh, when looking at the war machine. Um, and so that's really why World Beyond War's work appealed to me. If you go to our website, worldbeyondwar.org, you'll see that we really make the case for how war is having these multi-faceted uh, impacts on our species and planet. And I think that we do a very good job of laying out those holistic impacts. And how, as a, how as a young person, have you gotten involved in this? And, and I ask because when I go around and speak to peace groups, to self-selected uh, audiences of people interested in opposing war, uh, they are very disproportionately uh, white and middle class and, and urban and various other things, but in particular, old. Uh, I mean, I'm young at a peace uh, event, uh, and I'm probably at least twice uh, or close to twice your age. How, how can young people get involved in caring about war and peace? Mm. Well, I think that we do see millennials and young people very highly involved in certain movements, such as Occupy Wall Street, which was bringing awareness to economic injustice, to the 99% versus the 1%, the top corporations who are making all the money and further concentrating money. And also we saw with the Bernie Sanders movement a couple of years ago that that was really driven by millennials, and he as well was addressing this issue of the 99% versus the 1% in economic injustice. So when we're talking about engaging young people, I think we have to stick to that core message of economic injustice and show how, as we've discussed, war and militarism is further perpetuating that. Uh, I, I think that's that's a good angle. Um, so how is uh, how is organizing going? Where is World Beyond War getting people organized and active, and and what's working and what's not? Hmm. Well, World Beyond War is a global grassroots network of volunteers, chapters, and affiliated organizations advocating for 
the abolition of the entire institution of war and its replacement with what we call what we call an alternative global security system, one that is based on peace and demilitarization. And so our work is fundamentally anchored in that peace education of raising awareness about these issues that we've been discussing. And we have our book, which we publish every year, that lays out the strategies for managing conflicts nonviolently, demilitarizing, and establishing a culture of peace. And then on top of our book, we've built out a whole series of other educational materials that our volunteers use to hold events, film screenings, uh, guest lectures, PowerPoint presentations, and other events in their community to engage people, educate, and then mobilize for change. And and we've had some some big conferences, including one since you've been on board, right? Yes, every year we hold an annual conference on the International Day of Peace, September 21st. And the past conference that we did in Toronto uh, two months ago was looking at how do we change systems of global governance? How do we establish legal frameworks that move us towards a world beyond war? And one of the one of the campaigns that you've been especially involved in, Greta, is is divestment, um, which I, I myself sometimes have a hard time understanding. Can you can you try to explain to people what divestment from war means? Yes. So divestment is divesting, withdrawing money, monetary funds, from companies that invest in weapons, manufacturers, and military contractors. So, for example, you as an individual might have your retirement funds or your savings invested in a bank or a mutual fund institution that then reinvests that money in military contractors and weapons manufacturers so that it can turn a profit. So on an individual level, you can divest your funds by changing your bank or your mutual fund institution. But the campaign is much larger than that. We're also looking at institutional divestment and government divestment. And so a concrete example would be divesting a university's funds from um, weapons manufacturers. Or it could be a hospital, a union, any business most likely has funds that invest somewhere. And the same thing on a municipal level in terms of divesting city public pension funds or even state or federal public pension funds. So it seems like a question of of creating activist pressure, but also creating a, a culture where it's shameful to be invested in, in certain things, as with fossil fuels or Israeli occupations or, or anything else. Exactly. And I think that that's also what's appealing to the quote-unquote youth or the millennials about divestment. And we've seen that the divestment movement thus far has been driven by millennials on college campuses, focusing specifically on fossil fuel divestment, but that we can build this up and expand it to include weapons divestment. And, and what's appealing to it is what you were alluding to about the sense that we're building an alternative culture. We're, we're opting out of this negative industry, and then we're reinvesting it in something positive, whether that's education or healthcare or renewable energy. And so it's a way for us to take a tangible, concrete action step, which I think is much more appealing than 
certain actions that are symbolic that sometimes people are tired of, you know, endless petitions or symbolic uh, rallies. Uh, have we seen some victories already? Well, we've seen massive victories for fossil fuel divestment, um, particularly with New York City. Mayor de Blasio just announced that the entire city of New York would divest from fossil fuels, which is something like $5 billion. And that's having ripple effects with mayors across the world who are taking similar action steps. I think that the weapons divestment campaign is very much in its infancy stages. And so we as organizers have to make these cross-connections that we've been discussing and expand the movement to include military divestment. We're speaking with Greta Zaro, who is our organizing director at World Beyond War, and my colleague, as I'm the director at World Beyond War, you can go to worldbeyondwar.org to learn more. Uh, Greta, it seems like part of the culture that that makes it acceptable to be invested in in weaponry uh, is this this culture that celebrates war and celebrates troops and celebrates veterans. Uh, and I know that uh, there's a holiday coming up uh, in in the next days here that in the United States has become called Veterans Day and in some other countries is still called Remembrance Day. Uh, but we're trying to get it called something else, right? Absolutely, yes. November 11th coming up is Armistice Day, the 100th anniversary, in fact, of the end to World War One. And as you said, historically, it's been a day to celebrate the end to war. And unfortunately, in the United States, after the Korea War, we saw the renaming of Armistice Day to Veterans Day, and it became a day to glorify war instead. So we at World Beyond War have been advocating for reclaiming it as a day to celebrate peace. And if you go to worldbeyondwar.org, you can look at our global events map and find an Armistice Day celebration near you. Very good recommendation. <laughs> it's it's wonderful to hear World Beyond War uh, described to me by you, Greta, um, so well. Uh, well. One of the other uh, campaigns that I, I guess we're focusing on as well as divestment uh, is related to bases, and I, and I know that just after Armistice Day, uh, I and Pat Elder and some others of us will be at a big conference in Dublin about closing bases, but uh, how, can, how can you explain that campaign to people? Yes, so building off what we were talking about with education as the core of our work at World Beyond War, and teaching people about the strategies needed to demilitarize and manage conflict nonviolently. Once we educate, we then use that knowledge to mobilize and take action. And our two campaign, campaign priorities are divestment, as we've discussed, and the second one, closing military bases. And in particular, we're looking at U.S. foreign military bases and NATO bases, because the United States is the biggest culprit of this issue with over 95% of foreign military bases around the world. And so the upcoming conference that you alluded to on November 16 through 18, we'll be talking about how to close U.S. and NATO military bases. You know, someone once described bases to me as the pushpins that hold up the map of empire. And I think that that's a really good analogy or symbol to have in our minds of one key reason 
why we're advocating for the closure of bases, because bases perpetuate this empire-building mentality that especially the United States is perpetuating. They are, they are a threat to countries. The U.S. is invading communities by staking its claims there. And we've also seen very grave environmental and social impacts in the communities where bases are located. We have uh, been, in fact, organizing more people since you've been involved, Greta, as our organizing director. And we we had uh, people reporting uh, for the first time at the beginning of our annual conference, which, uh, as you said, was in Toronto back in September, uh, on what they are doing around the world. Someone from Japan, someone from New Zealand and uh, various locations around the world. Can you... Can you talk about how people are getting are getting active in different countries, including increasingly now uh, as a result of our conference uh, in Canada? Mm-hmm. Yes. So as I mentioned, a lot of our volunteers and chapters begin with holding educational events in their community first, building a shared understanding of these issues. And World Beyond War provides a really great um, source of materials that groups use to put on these events, the PowerPoints, books, study and discussion guide, videos and films. So a lot of our volunteers start out with holding those events in their communities, and we help them to develop the programming for the events and then to also recruit people and do the outreach to build those events up. And many of them, after they start out with that key foundational base, then they go, go on to do activism in their community based on the specific issues that they're facing in their neighborhood. So, for example, with our New Zealand coordinator, she's currently working on a petition to the New Zealand government, which is considering purchasing these uh, uh, military planes, uh, war planes, that would cost millions and millions of taxpayer dollars for the New Zealand people and really to no benefit to them. These aren't the same planes uh, that we've been uh, opposing in Burlington, Vermont, are they? No, these are the P-8 planes, and Burlington, it's interesting you mentioned that, they're facing a similar campaign. Volunteers there are working to oppose the F-35 fighter jets, which are extremely noisy and would cause um, the foreclosure of many, many homes in the area where the planes are stationed because of the noise impact. Yeah, it's a problem at, at U.S. bases around the U.S. and, and the world. Um, how uh, So if somebody wants to, to start up a new World Beyond War chapter, uh, how can they go about that? Yeah, the easiest way is to contact me directly. My email is Greta, G-R-E-T-A, at worldbeyondwar.org and send me an email and we'll start a conversation about what would work best in your community. So, so you're spending a lot of time with these with volunteers. Um, uh, ha- have any of them been coming up with uh, ideas or activism or uh, inspiring campaigns that, that others might want to, to emulate uh, where they live? Yes, that's a really good point. In addition to using our existing materials and campaigns, volunteers that we work with also come up with their own campaigns, again, based on what's relevant 
in their community or based on issues that they see and bring them to our attention. So right now I'm working with some volunteers in the state of Oregon in the United States to work on a national conscientious objector campaign, which would allow people to publicly declare their objection to serving in the U.S. military. And by making that public declaration, it helps if they are ever called to be drafted into the military, they can use that documentation to make a case for why they should not be drafted. Uh, excellent idea. I'm, I'm continually amazed, Greta, and I hope you can, can explain to people how you do it, uh, because I think uh, many people might want to do something similar if they thought it was possible how you organize people online and around the world uh, and around the United States uh, off the grid in a, in a what, 10, 10 foot square, 20 foot square uh, house uh, on, a, on an organic farm in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, that is the beauty of technology. And I think that's something that World Beyond War really illustrates very well is that although technology can be used in negative ways. It can also be used in very positive, constructive ways. And just from my tiny home in, you know, a rural area of New York State, I'm able to connect using email and conference call with people literally all over the world, from Afghanistan, Pakistan, United States, uh, Japan. And so really that technology helps me do it. And we have a solar panel system, which we use to power my laptop and phone. It's, uh, it's still amazing to me, um, but I'm glad you're doing it. We we also have been doing, with, with you based there on the farm, we've been doing a number of... Uh, of webinars, which which have the the videos, uh, as well as our conferences have the videos that people can still go and watch. And, and we have uh, an, an online course, a, a more in-depth uh, and, and personalized uh, uh, online course with more interaction with the, the instructors and so forth uh, coming up soon, right? Yes, our online course is a six-week course starting in February of 2019. And it will be going through those foundational topics that we've been discussing about how we can realistically move towards a, towards a world beyond war, the strategies needed to demilitarize and to cultivate this culture of peace. So you can go to worldbeyondwar.org to sign up for the course. I, I hope a lot of people do, um, because a lot of our best volunteers and, and members of our coordinating committee, our volunteer committee that, that makes decisions for World Beyond War, uh, have actually gotten involved through taking one of these courses in the past. Um, it, we just have uh, five minutes left, Greta. I, I wonder what what has surprised you, encouraged you, discouraged you? What arguments do you run up against? Uh, I, I mean, I think we increasingly run up against the idea that the important thing to work on is the environment, so we must not be bothered with uh, war or anything else. How do you, how do you deal with such hurdles? Hmm. Yeah, I think what's been very encouraging this year is the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, and we've seen the revival of the Poor People's Campaign. And that was very encouraging because it was going back to Martin Luther King's advice 50 years ago 
talking about the interconnections of these issues, of what he called the three evils, economic injustice, uh, militarism, and the environmental destruction, as well as racial injustice. So actually there's a fourth one, which is the environmental destruction I mentioned that they added on with the 50th anniversary. And right. so this revival has really been encouraging for the movement because they are striving to do exactly what we have been doing at World Beyond War and what we hope to further expand across the movement is showing how these issues are intimately interconnected and if we're going to make progress on these issues, we have to be bridging these divides and working as a unified movement. And again, that really comes down to the war system, war and militarism being this block to any progress because of the massive amount of dollars that are used to perpetuate militarism at the expense of any other issue that we want to work on. Uh, well said. Uh, and uh, I, I think the fact that the Poor People's Campaign, like Black Lives Matter from the start, has been right about militarism and about these connections uh, in a way that many, many coalitions uh, are not is a strong reason to, to support them. Uh, and uh, we also are looking, as you know, Greta, at uh, April 4th, 2019, uh, as a day to celebrate Martin Luther King and his philosophy of nonviolence, uh, because, uh, among other things, there's going to be a celebration of NATO uh, in in Washington, D.C. Um, I... Uh, I understand, though, that NATO is is good now because Trump is against it. Is that is that right? <laughs> That's an interesting logic. Unfortunately, when Trump seems to do something good, even a small positive baby step, such as supporting peace in Korea or, as you're saying, opposing NATO, because... Trump is, is so wrong on so many issues, people are hesitant to encourage him even on these tiny positive baby steps. And I think that we, we shouldn't fall victim to that line of thinking and that we should encourage him to move forward on these issues that we do agree with. Except we should hate Russia, right? I mean, Trump Trump is Russia's servant and we should... I mean, there's nothing nothing really major at risk if we if we hate Russia, right? Hmm, that kind of uh, thinking blocks us from moving as a unified movement together. We're looking to work with people all over the world. World Beyond War has signatories on our Declaration of Peace from 175 countries worldwide, including Russia. And so we we can criticize maybe uh, aspects of the Russian government and the way that it, too, props up militarism, but we cannot use that as a an obstacle to block us from working together with the Russian people to advance peace worldwide. Very, very well said. Uh, with, with one minute left, Greta Zaro, uh, how can people get involved or learn more or find out if they're considering the possibility of, of getting slightly involved in trying to shut down uh, the entire institution of war. I would encourage people to go to our website, worldbeyondwar.org, slash individual, and there you can sign our Declaration of Peace, and there are multiple checkboxes you can choose to indicate how you'd like to get involved. And very well said, you don't have to check any of them, but you should uh, check one or more, and then we get back to you about getting you involved in 
that part of, of the campaign to end war. Uh, we've been speaking with Greta Zaro. She is organizing director of World Beyond War. The website is worldbeyondwar.org. You can click on About Us and Who Are We uh, and read more about Greta Zaro and her work, and you can get involved in the campaign to abolish the worst thing that humanity does. Greta Zaro, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thanks so much, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.